If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And today we will camp in verse 20. Today we'll camp in verse 20 together. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, but I'll read from verse 12 just for us to get a context. Just for us to get a context. Here is the word of God. Take it as it is, as it comes to you. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of kings, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Verse 20, which is our text for today. Among whom are Hymenaeus or Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we need your help to understand this word. We need your spirit to aid us, to illuminate us, to keep us awake, and to engage the word. Do a work in all of our hearts. And if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you this morning, would you save them from sin? Will they fling themselves to Christ? Will they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And would someone in this room as they are Christian would they turn from sin and be helped so I pray in Jesus name Amen well friends I hope that the noise will disappear as it is very annoying but today we continue our series as, as we've been journeying verse by verse through Paul's first letter to Timothy. And Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. Timothy is in Ephesus and the motive is to correct the wrong things happening in the church at Ephesus. Wrong doctrine taught by 
elders supposedly who had given themselves to false teaching. And we have looked at certain aspects of this letter where the Apostle Paul is rebuking false teachers, exposing false teachers, and laying a foundation by bringing forth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul has done is that he has said, this is what is false. However, therefore, this is what is true. So you rebuke these and teach what is right. That summarizes the first chapter of First Timothy. It is upon this gospel that the Apostle Paul now sets the tone for church discipline. That's the sermon for this morning is called Church Discipline Examined and Applied. Church Discipline Examined and Applied. And I'll look at the context. Firstly, uh, secondly, I would look at the characters, context characters. And thirdly, I will look at the church's commitment. The church's commitment. Firstly then, we look at the context. The context. Let me read again the text. Among whom are Hermeneus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Before we enter into any sort of exposition, we need to examine the context and ask the text of scripture that we're reading here. What is happening? This is important as it will give us a fuller understanding and a greater appreciation of the text and the topic as a whole. Paul here is instructing Timothy to remain firm in the truth. And by way, way of example, he states that there are two individuals who, are, who, who clearly did not heed to the apostles' teaching and as a consequence made a shipwreck of their faith. In other words, they made a mess of their witness and sinned grievously against God. They were practicing false teaching and abusing the church. By teaching what is false. And there's a lesson to be learned here folks. It is that one can easily become a false teacher in the local church. Having started off well. Having started off in the truth. They can become a false teacher. So it is important to watch our doctrine and our lives carefully. We need to safeguard the scriptures, they must be more precious than gold, as the psalmist puts it. They must be more sought after than honey, as the 19th psalm puts it. So that we may pass on to our posterity the truth of God's word. And all this informs us of the context of church discipline itself in the local church Paul says they are men we see that they were men and Paul had some sort of oversight over them 
that he even handed them over to Satan. What does it mean to hand over someone to Satan? It's actually excommunication or expulsion from the church so that they would stop blasphemy. One lesson that can be learned, dear friends, is that one cannot be disciplined the biblical way if they're not part of a local church. If you're not in the context of a local church, if you're just a church attendee, then you cannot be disciplined. Paul had some sort of oversight over these men. They were part of a church in Ephesus. On another front, as you read the context... You also realize that church discipline is based upon the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might, dis might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That is the context. It's the gospel. So church discipline, if we're ever to have a conversation, like what we're having today on church discipline, it is in the context of a gospel Bible-believing church. God is holy. He must punish sin. God sent His only Son to die for us. And He punished His Son. He killed His Son. He poured out His wrath on His Son so that we would have eternal life. The 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, why do you think Jesus came? Why do you think Jesus died? Since he appeared to take away sin, why shouldn't the church be holy? Since our Savior himself is holy and appeared to take away sin, 1 John 3, 4, uh, 1 John 3, 4 to 5, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin. And in him there's no sin. And that is why the church must practice discipline. Titus 2, verse 11 to 14, for the grace of God. Listen to this. The grace of God has appeared. Everyone who yells, grace, grace, grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. There's a training that the grace of God does to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. That's verse 12. Verse 13, waiting for a blessed hope. So Jesus did not just save us to just live wanton, rebellious lives. We are saved by a holy God to live holy, consecrated lives. And the church is an agent of that holiness. The church cultivates that holiness in you as individuals in you as people who say we're called by the name of god we're children of god so the church cultivates that 
through discipline as we will see later on. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and the Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's the Christian life. Paul asked in another place in Romans, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. And I think it's important to mention, dear friends, that church discipline is not only excommunication. Depending on the nature of sin, And repentance or the unrepentance of the individual, the steps that the elders will take is known as church discipline. Or even in our own conversations together, if I see a brother or come across a member of our own church doing something illegal, one, or actually sinning in public, my role is to confront them. Now, the confrontation in and of itself is a form of church discipline. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The problem is that we live in a church in this day and age where people are tattletales. They are like little children at school. They tell on others, oh, do you know that I saw that man doing this? Why don't you go and speak to him? Most problems in the church, most relational problems in the church could be avoided if people followed the first framework of church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him their sin together. And discipline in the local church varies from case to case. And what is to take place is left to the wisdom of the elders, informed by the word of God. For example, one, it depends on what is happening. Not everything will be dealt with the same way. You might have to take a break from serving up front. You might have to stop taking the Lord's table for a while. You might have to report of your whereabouts every day and what you did, just like where you, where you go to the police where, when you're a convict or a suspect, you have to go to ZRP daily to report yourself. And in a case where some sort of scene has been left unattended to and the elders are now disciplining you, they may require you to report daily of your activities. It depends. But... We will look and zoom in on excommunication. Because I know that many of you have got questions in the last point of the sermon. Hebrews 12 verse 5 to 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. 
Nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. There are people who think that discipline is evil. There are people who think that church discipline is unnecessary. That's why all these churches are in a mess. And even in our household, we think that not disciplining our children is good. But if you don't discipline that child, the Bible says you hate them. The Bible says you hate them. If you withhold the rod from a disobedient child, you're not living in accords with the scripture. And henceforth, as you see in the church, if the elders withhold the rod, or if the church withholds the rod from disciplining an unrepentant elder, they are living in disobedience of God. The problem is that we live in a day and age where we think we're loving more than God. And that is why you get these papas who are uh, invi invincible, immortal. The guy can do anything in the church. And people do not say something or hold him to account. So we look at the context. We've got the context. Let us look at the characters. Verse 20. Among whom are Hermeneus and Alexander... These are the characters who are involved in church discipline. There are always characters involved in church discipline. What exactly did Hymenaeus and Alexander actually do? We'll start with the first character. Hymenaeus, from the word Hymen. His name actually derives or means a sex god. Just for your own knowledge. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 16 to 18 as we see this man, Hymenaeus. For there, let me read. But avoid irreverent babble. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermeneus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. This was Hermeneus, a man in the church who was teaching the false teaching. Now this teaching that he was teaching denied the full bodily resurrection of Christians. And affirmed instead a spiritual resurrection. So he was basically teaching heresy. He was denying the final salvation of the whole person. And it's important, dear friends, some of these doctrines that we import or learn even from social media. Let's be careful. <laughs> Lest we spread heresy. Let's be careful. Let's not be too quick to be teachers, you know. There are people who want to be teachers everywhere. I want to teach. Hmm? Women especially. There are many women. I just I want, to, I want to teach. Be careful. Because James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
Don't just be eager to teach people. Don't be too eager to get a platform to teach. Because all those who teach will be held to a higher standard. And this man, Hymenaeus, was swerving from the truth. Because though he was in the early church, he denied the full bodily final resurrection of believers. He denied the Christian faith. And this is what he was teaching in the Christian church. What about Alexander? Since Alexander was a common name, there's no reason to associate the one here, which is, uh, there's an Alexander who was mentioned in Acts 19, 33-34. I won't go into those texts. And 2 Timothy, verse 14 and 15. But this does not really clear the fact that he was a false teacher. So those are the characters we see. There are always characters in church discipline. There are always some people to be dealt with. And sometimes, this is very important, there are non-believers, listen to this, who enter into the church, rostership, uh, membership, roster, and yet are not believers in Christ. And sooner rather than later, their conduct begins to show who they really are. It is, it is either through their conduct or teaching that you see, this person, he was never a believer. They started off so well. They say the right things. Test of salvation. Ah, I was saved by grace through faith, brother. <laughs> no one can take away my salvation. Okay. All right, what happened? Ah, this happened and you told him. Very amazing story. Like, ah, this is a brother. This is a brother in the Lord. Okay. Baptize him. You know, Lord's Supper. You're now in the church. Once he's in the church. Once he's in church. Or once she's in the church. Especially in this day and age of social media. Falsehoods. Gossip. Destruction of families. Hmm? Imagine someone who enters into a church. Only to devour your wives, men. Can be caught sleeping. Foolish. Or enters into church membership to seduce the men. Everyone is happy. Everyone is enjoying. The church is thriving, it's growing. We are busy in pictures. And as a lady who has entered into the church, with motives to destroy the church. And this could have been Hermeneus and Alexander. And sometimes they are Christians who are actually born again. And that's why they're called Christians. They fall into sin, grievous sin. But one of, the way God, one of the ways God uses to restore them is through expulsion and excommunication out of the local church through stubbornly hanging on to sin. Paul, that's why Paul says, I, I, handed, them over, I, I handed them over to Satan. 
They've been taken away from the protection of God's house. They've been taken away from the umbrella of God's people. And they have been handed over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And what does that mean? That means that excommunication means that we are no longer affirming that you're a Christian because of stubbornly hanging on to sin. You are not repentant. You are not showing signs of being, walking in the Lord. Now, of course, it's not, it does not mean that the elders stand at the corner with a gun to say, no, let me just stand outside Vasande's <laughs> house and start up. The moment he comes, okay, what does he do? Ah, okay. Huh? You, no, that's not, that's not what we're supposed to do. And we're not just supposed to call out everything. You are you, need speaking every small thing. You're looking, you're, you're a sin detector. You're just looking for sin. No, no. That's not how elders should operate. Where something is clear, undoubtedly clear, church discipline should be exercised. And if the person doesn't repent, excommunication. Excommunication. We're removing you from membership. You're no longer allowed to take the Lord's Supper. You can come to church. We won't shake your hand. We just say hi. Our conversations with you are only limited to repent. <laughs> I know, Pastor, that's too harsh. Maybe even on your deathbed, we may not visit you because you have served from the truth. That's what is being dealt with here. They are stubbornly hanging on to heresy. But we see, dear friends, that all church discipline and excommunication is restorative. It's restrictive, but also restorative. But even in its restrictiveness, it's restorative. What am I saying? For the non-believer who has entered into church membership, when we, when we say you are excommunicated from this church, we are saying that we are cleansing the church from sin. But even as we are cleansing the church, we are hoping and praying that when you see what you have done, that God would bring you back. That is the restorative aspect. But then also for the believer, it's like a child. You, you, you try to teach them a lesson. You hit them with the, the road is no longer working. Dad, I want to leave this house. I don't want to come back. Say, okay, go. Go out into the world. That's what we're saying. We're saying, okay, you want to live like a resident of hell? You can go and live there. And when the world burns you, and the way, when the world hurts you, and you see your need for Christ, you come back to your brothers and sisters and say, I sinned against God. Would you accept me back? Church discipline examined and applied. We're examining and applying, huh? Are we together? 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. It's the desire of God that people would repent, but people don't always repent. I've got questions for you, dear friends, as I challenge you this morning. Are you on the brink of swerving from the truth as a Christian? Are you, is there some sin or some particular aspect or certain aspects of your life that you are just meddling in? Which is causing you to be on the brink of swerving from the, from the truth or even excommunication? Ask yourself that. I'll say, why don't you run back to Christ and ask him to restore you to himself. Ask him to get rid of this lingering sin and this sloth in your life which is causing you to be almost on the brink of church discipline and excommunication. And for the non-believer, the challenge is that you're already there. You are already handed over to Satan. And are being led by Satan. You're a child of the devil. And that's what the Bible says. Satan has got you in a vice grip. Why does Paul say? For you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world. Following the prince. Of the power there. The devil. You are a child of the devil. If you're not a Christian. Let's be honest, frank with me. You, you might say, Pastor is being harsh today. The truth is, if you're not a Christian, you're a child of the devil. And the wrath of God is presently upon you. Presently. God is just about or is dealing with you. You need to run and flee to him and say, Lord, I'm tired of living for the devil. I am tired of living under the devil's umbrella I need Christ because this is important friends because once we understand this it will transform our lives and even as we live the Christian life we're not constantly living in fear of discipline but we're living in fear of a holy God who then keeps us on the straight and narrow such that your conscience is clear you are living the Christian life in a clear manner you're not afraid of human beings you're not afraid of other believers because you've got nothing to hide that is the Christian life that is what the word of God does transforming the mind as you grow in grace and what Paul was talking about serving God Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience comes from knowing God. Truly, not knowing God to avoid discipline, but knowing God fully and truly. Such that we can say, wow, that man and woman is set apart for God. Let us now look at the church's commitment, which Paul highlights very, very clearly in the last part of verse 20. Among whom are Hermeneus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan 
that they may not blaspheme. Let us now explore what this means, dear friends, to be handed over to Satan. But let me first start by saying, many churches are in trouble today because they do not discipline their members or themselves. They think that by not disciplining, that they have been loving. And by not disciplining, we know that they are being all-embracing. So as to bolster up numbers. When you mention discipline, that upsets people. I could bet with you. Say, Pastor, don't mention betting on the pulpits. But I could bet with you. Within Harare West, find me a church that disciplines their members according to the Bible. And I'll go there and become a member. <laughs> find me a church that exercises church discipline. In the, in the most biblical manner. Not giving says, oh no, we're not trying to be laughing. Oh, Anna, I might have my mistakes. Oh, you know, you know, making excuses for people. Oh, sweeping issues under the rug. And not actually dealing, because sin is ugly. Sin is devastating. It devastates household. So we must fight it. And we must deal with it. It must be brought to the surface and say, let's deal with this. Let's deal with it. Yeah, people are so afraid. I know, you know, I don't want them to know my issues. You know, I'm still new to this church, so I'm, I'm trying to understand who they are. No, no, no. You're not ready to deal with sin if that's your attitude. If that's your attitude, you're not ready to deal with the problems in your life. If you're still scared of what my son would say, we must be people who are dealing with sin as the Holy Spirit brings about sin in our lives. Do I have pride issue? Bring it out. Where am I proud? Where am I ungrateful? Where am I lustful? Men, the lust of the eyes. How can I deal with this problem? In Christ. And we love each other here. You know, it's all nice and rosy until someone gets disciplined. And sometimes we're still a small church, but if the church grows and someone, one of the prominent members, gets disciplined, you will see that there are people who are going to couple with that person and threaten to leave the church because they say the elders are being unfair. If I discipline your best friend, you'll be like, ah, this, this guy. If I discipline your child, maybe your child is the member of this church and they've not been walking according to the calling and say, I think she must stop singing or serving or for, for a while, for a season, whilst we deal with this matter. Or to say, no, actually the person you said was a Christian is not a Christian, excommunication. Like, ah, oh, no. Pastor, 
Wazinga manangu chini. Kusumanangu hasi mkristu. Do you know what happens after that? It's a domino effect. The family will leave. This family will leave. They will couple together. They will form their own church. It's nice as we talk about it. But it's painful. And sometimes, in fact, most of the time, all of the time, it's unnecessary. Let's just deal with sin. You've got a drinking problem. You've got all these things. Just deal with it in the spirit if you are in Christ. And fight. The church's commitment here in the text is reinforced by the Apostle Paul in the verse where he says, Whom I have handed over to Satan. So, what does that mean? Open with me to Matthew 18, verse 15 to 20. I've got two texts that I want us to examine. One of Jesus and one of Paul. One of Jesus and one of Paul, so that we can get a clearer picture, lest it's not clear. Matthew 18, verse 15 to 20. I'll just read it, and then I'll anchor on that uh, important point on, on being handed over to Satan. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take the step two. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever is, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But I want us to really hold on to that, to verse 17. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Gentiles and tax collectors were known as those who are outside the kingdom of God. Pagans. Pagans. Jesus taught on church discipline. He says, warn people. Be patient by all means. Be gracious with your brothers and sisters. But if someone's sin escalates to a problem that cannot be controlled, you must excommunicate. Jesus said it. Why don't you do it? Who are you? Let's, look, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians. Chapter 5 is a famous text. I'll read from verse 1 to 5. It is actually reported that there is sex sexual immorality among you and of a kind. I, I, want, you to, I want you to understand what's going on here. Uh, we have to pause because I think it's important. The Apostle Paul is saying, he acknowledges that 
in the world, in the church, in whole humanity, there is what is called sexual immorality, sexual impurity. Because we are sinners. Whether with our eyes, our hearts, or thoughts, or actions. But listen to this. And of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. So this is scandalous. It's scandalous. It's not like normal sexual immorality. It's abnormal. For a man has his father's wife. This is scandalous. It's like saying, okay, someone has some sort of sexual relations with a child. That is scandalous. It's different if you commit adultery with an adult. According to Paul here, there's, there's, there are degrees, there are varying degrees of sin. This one was fornicating with his stepmother. <laughs> it's an abomination. The Nigerians say, oh, abomination. Oh. They lift up their hands and say, abomination. It's an abomination. Even even when I watch TV or even the mountains, they're like, ah, what is this? Paul, that's what Paul is saying. For a man has his father's wife. And he says to the church, you who are pure, you who are holy, you have who have been saved, you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this thing be removed. So immediately, there's no first step or second step. There's elimination. <laughs> there and there. So there are times when the church is called to act swiftly upon abominations. So. And guess what? This was not just a temptation. It was not just a once-off thing. It was an ongoing thing which was known in the church and celebrated. That's what he's saying. If you read the whole text, the church knew you ought to be mourning about this. But everyone, it's like a church where people are just tolerating sin. They're skating around sin. They see that this person is living in sin, but it's such ah, okay, okay. We're just going to be laughing. Ah, brother, you're a good guy. That's what was happening in Corinthians. Instead of saying no. The most loving thing we can do is to call you out and warn you. So you're not living in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 3, For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled, so as a church, a church membership meeting. In the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present. He was the apostle, an apostle. With the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were given the keys of the kingdom. You are to deliver this man to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh. So that, listen to this. Even in church discipline, Paul is loving. He's saying so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. We are excommunicating you, brother, because you need help. We love you enough to excommunicate you. So that somehow 
We pray that God will do a work in your soul so that you see your problems. But if you don't see your problems, then you are never a Christian to begin with. You are never, you are just an imposter. That is what Jesus is all about. Those men were to be handed over to Satan so that they would perhaps suffer spiritually and physically. When you're handed over to Satan, if you read across the scriptures, what did Satan do to Job? It was the sovereignty of God, yes. But what did Satan do to Job? What is being talked about here is when you're isolated from the local church, as a non-member, you have been disciplined, you have been told, you can't take the Lord's table, Satan deals with you. Trust me. Trust me. Even your physical appearance can change from excommunication. Just the fact that now you're just sick. There's, there's just unexplainable sicknesses now plaguing you. And even spiritually, you can't sleep. Because you're always thinking, oh, I sinned against God. But your pride is keeping you from going back to the people of God and saying, listen, I just need help. Spiritual, your life is a mess. Financially. Because excommunication, what people don't understand is that excommunication, being disfellowshipped or expelled from the local church affects everything. After having said you're a Christian and after having heard the gospel being preached, after seeing the graces of God and experiencing God's grace, and then after saying, no, you never believe. Oh, brother, sister, you are married. You are marrying a non-believer. You are stubborn. Hey, you want to sing. You are cohabiting. Say, no, just, just let go. Let go. Maybe you are almost involved in a fraudulent, you know, money issues. Try to make your business deals as clean as possible. Especially all of you guys who are doing business in this church. Try. By all means, this is Zimbabwe, it's tough. But I'm telling you, it will do you good. God will bless you. Live lives of integrity. If you can't make the money, just do the small projects that you're doing. You see that the men were handed over to Satan so that they would not blaspheme. So that the church would be protected. We remove you from church so that you stop teaching falsehoods or doing false things. Dear friends, I'll conclude by saying are you suffering Right now, 
spiritually and physically because of sin, return with all your heart to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, maybe the people in the church don't know but God knows. And sometimes you don't even have to confess to the people in the church. You just need to run to Christ. God. Our great mediator. Go back and show him your faults before you make a shipwreck of your faith. And stay in the Lord. Eat of the greener pastures. Sin seems like it's greener pastures, but it's actually brown. The water seems to be clean, but it's actually sewage. Come to the Lord today. Flee sin and Satan and come to God. Flee. Flee from the wrath that is to come. There's danger. I could go on, but even as we come before the Lord's table, let's come with a clear conscience. Let's come with a renewed resolve. Let's come in the Lord, knowing that he died for us. And so if he died for us, how are we meant to live? Amen.